It isn't just about my health, it's others' health. And it isn't just about health, it's what health enables. And what we've seen very clearly, although we, we, we never got to mandates and, and various bits and pieces in England at least, um, was that you know people could be convinced to go with some health preventative behaviour if it meant the difference between having a more narrow social life, personal life, than if they made a, a, a positive decision around their health behaviour. So I do wonder if that isn't obviously a, another trend for consumer health to be looking into. Welcome to HBW Insights Over the Counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe. Every two weeks, I'll be speaking with a self-care industry expert or insider about a key issue in the global cosmetics, OTC medicines or dietary supplements markets. In this episode, I speak to self-care marketing expert Stuart Mayle about the hottest trends in UK consumer health. Based on interviews with a variety of consumer health clients, Stuart, who is head of creative difference at the Difference Collective, confirms many of the trends seen elsewhere, such as a need for health literacy as consumers move online and an emphasis on wellness and prevention. But what is perhaps new is the way this focus on prevention is pushing consumers, especially within younger generations, away from individualism and towards pro-social choices. Pressures on income from inflation, war and climate change are also shaping consumer choices, he thinks. Consumer health brands must find their purpose, he advises, if they're to stand out from a crowded shelf and compete with cheaper generic options. So do you want to just introduce yourself first? Gosh, um, that's probably going to be the most difficult thing, talking about myself rather than talking about something else. Um, so, yes, my name's Stuart Mayle. Um, I am the head of... What is it it says on the bottom of my uh, title? Creative Difference or something. The it? head of the creative difference. Yes, thank you. Um, one of those ones where it kind of seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've been in and around uh, healthcare comms in its broadest sense for well over a quarter of a century, um, which rather does date me. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I teach... Um, students, master students on strategic planning and um, uh, public relations and comms, amongst other things, at which they look aghast at the idea that I am nearly 45, but it is mm-hmm. true. Um, and so I, I, I like it and I tell them that I've got a very expensive skincare regime. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the students once asked me, what is your skincare regime? And I said, I wash it occasionally. <laughs> um, there we go. So, yeah, so I work... Um, uh, amongst other things through the Difference Collective, which, as the name suggests, is a collective of like-minded senior professionals. Um, it is not, um, therefore, a permanent role for me or anyone who works there. Um, it is a, a collaborative effort of freelancers. Um, and that is why I'm able to draw upon the views of well over 80 people um, in order to understand kind of what is hot and what is not in terms of healthcare, in this case, consumer health um, and wellness and various bits and pieces. Um, so hopefully it allows me or accords me the opportunity to say some stuff that is of, of relevance um, to people working in and around the healthcare industries. Yeah, so we so we asked, well, I asked uh, the Difference Collective based on your piece. There was a piece you did on some, uh, some trends in healthcare communications. Mm-hmm having worked with the Difference Collective before, I, I asked whether it would be possible for for you to maybe 
uh, do something more specific to consumer healthcare. And from what I gather you, as you just mentioned, you've gone and spoken to lots of consumer healthcare experts and you have yeah. some interesting results. Well, I have some results. <laughs> we shall wait and see how interesting they are. But yeah, I think it's, you know, it is fascinating. And I did speak to um, a number of our consumer health specialists. Um, some of them straddle both what you would call ethical pharma and uh, consumer health as well, as many people do. And some are consumer health specialists. But what seems interesting, at least initially to me, um, was how much agreement there was between them. And I think one of the things that came out most strongly, um, and I guess we should get the COVID stuff out of the way now, rather than you know leave it till later when everyone's bored out of their minds, um, was not you know just all COVID has done all these things. COVID has led to all these changes. The pandemic has changed the world forever. And and, and yes, that's all I'm sure to some extent true. But what seems to come through very loud and clear, both in terms of as you say what you mentioned with the healthcare um, broader stuff and and into the specifics, was how much people now care about healthcare and although it's a bit of a joke now that everyone stopped being an immunology professional and now they're a foreign policy expert um you know it is nonetheless the case that everyone is some form of informed person when it comes to elements of their own and their families and their friends healthcare and i think that's actually a very important for consumer health as well because even the most complicated scientific concepts even the most low profile pharmaceutical companies before the pandemic are now household names you know you, 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 to the point where i actually asked the question and you know people agreed with me what is consumer health anymore you know if if you get people saying oh did you have moderna or did you have pfizer in a general pub conversation, are they consumer healthcare companies now? Mm. You know, is are vaccines consumer health? Yes, they're not consumed, purchased in quite the same way. But you begin to get that sense that, as Anna Maxwell said to me as well, we are transforming patients into consumers at every step, whether it's because of the pandemic, whether it's because of increasing interest and, and desire to switch medicines OTC, people are becoming more and more their own consumers of healthcare. And I think that has only been accelerated by the pandemic situation. Um, whether people forget everything they've learned and suddenly they know everything about post-Soviet -Ukra post Ukrainian Russian politics, I have no idea. But for now, I think it, it offers both a, an opportunity and a risk for traditional consumer health companies which historically have had the field to themselves mm. you know to, to talk about people's health to talk about maintaining health preventative health whereas you know you may find other players particularly the you know the, the pharma players who traditionally aren't in that arena see the value and importance of it whether that's just that they will communicate more to consumers or whether it is they will start to bring forward product and solutions for for consumers it's, it's, it remains to be seen um 
Yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely something I noticed. I remember when I first started this job, um, I think I've shared this anecdote even on this podcast before. I haven't got that many. But <laughs> <laughs> that when I started doing this this job and I was writing about OTC medicines, I mean, I didn't really know what that was. You know, I just, just bought them in the shop. I didn't understand yeah. they were classified. Um, I understood that, you know, I had to go to the doctors to get some things. And and then, you know, trying to explain that, you know, when you say, oh, I'm a journalist, everyone gets excited. And then when you say, well, I'm a <laughs> trade journalist in this really obscure field, but it's not that obscure. You know, people buy these and use these medicines all the time and these products. And actually, I think you're right. Like that's trickled down. You know, like you say, uh, people talking about vaccines, they're also a bit more aware of, of the kind of products that they turn to during the pandemic. And it does seem to raised awareness of medicines in general well yeah i i completely agree and i think to move on to slightly more uh, another trend that sort of came out of it was that to some extent and, and i don't mean this in an unkind way i'm the world's greatest supporter of the nhs and the, the amazing work that they have done and do but you know i guess some people felt a bit abandoned you know or at least unable to access what they had been privately able to access and things aren't back to where they were you know getting a gp appointment is still like a 15-step obstacle course um so i think you're right i think we've perhaps gone beyond that sense of kind of the commoditization the genericization of, of medical care that you know as you say you pick up some paracetamols and paracetamols are paracetamols they're not medicines are they they're just things that sit around in your medicine cabinet um but I, I do think kind of perhaps people have sort of under, started to understand a little bit that it's my health. And if I want what I need, then I can't always rely on someone else to, you know, tell me what to get, where to get it from, you know, prescriptions and various bits and pieces. Obviously, you're still right that there is still clearly regulations on where you can and can't acquire certain medicines from, um, like the dark web. Um, but um, I think that is a, an important thing. I think maybe that has been a bit of a wake up call for people. You know, I am a bit more responsible for my own health. Obviously, some people push that away. You know, and whilst we can talk about self-medication, clearly a lot of people in the pandemic also self-medicated with, you know, tobacco rates went up. I think there is some debate about whether or not rates of alcohol consumption actually did go up. I think if you were a drinker, you perhaps drank more. But a lot of people didn't drink anymore but clearly an increase in problem drinkers seems to have occurred well, and just, food... just, just difficult as with mental health isn't it as well so that impacts your habits yeah so again that's that that idea of self-medicating with the bad stuff is as is as relevant as self-medicating with the good stuff you know again a lot of people put on the lockdown pound um you know because it's a scary time and you know a, a takeaway and a glass of wine or a beer also makes just, bore, them... just boredom isn't it when you well, and, <laughs> yeah and boredom too isn't it yeah particularly if you're anxious and bored it's a it's a it's a nasty place um to be but yeah i do think maybe there is a perhaps at least in some parts of the population this sense that kind of you know i got through that and I didn't have perhaps the support networks that I would have normally expected if I, as you say, were anxious, depressed, in pain, you know, various bits and pieces. I, I found other ways. So 
you know, and that will come on to that. Clearly, there has been a growth in holistic health. You know, natural health continues to go. Great guns. Um, you know, but I think, as you say, people accessed what they could access, and a lot of other routes were closed off to you. Um, well, the yeah, like I mean, this is something that we've written about. You know, pharmacies were one of the places that were still open through the whole thing, and it was somewhere where you could go and talk to a healthcare professional easily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they remained. You know, they probably were. They well. They were the front line. They are the front line, but they became the only front line to mm. the vast majority of us, which I think is, you know, a very salient point. Um, the other point that we kind of looked at with this idea of, you know, patients to consumers and um, you know the post-COVID environment was, and it, it struck me as this was very interesting. You mentioned obviously when you came into the role and, and, you know, knowing that there were medicines you could go and get from a shop, but not really knowing what they were and why they were and various bits and pieces. But I do think that also raises another question around if we become more FMCGized or, you know, consumerized in our, in our healthcare and pharmacists we know are supposed to be the front door for the NHS now and their role will grow. I believe there's a consultation going on, but if we don't, tell people what they can, their expectations can be and raise those expectations to an appropriate level you know how do you know what good health good medicine is and you know examples like I, I was speaking to one of the um, experts about migraine um, and you know we talked about migraine products and we, we talked about various bits and pieces that were available but she wasn't aware that there were other more specific medicines that worked more at the root cause of the um, hormonal imbalance, the serotonin imbalance. Now they are available in some form over the counter, um, but she wasn't aware. So the expectation could not be raised to a level where she wasn't thinking, well, I could take my relief, you know, and that works so okay, but you know, perhaps I also get these other feelings, which, which doesn't help with. It, it is making people aware you know, of what is available to help. Because if you ask people to become a consumer of healthcare, they must be an informed consumer of healthcare. Otherwise, they are a bad consumer in the same way as someone could get ripped off for buying a car that isn't to their needs because they haven't done their research. Um, this, so think, this, this links to actually something that you mentioned in your in your piece on the website, you know, about health literacy. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah and that's that's a really big area for us we have a lot of um health literacy experts um but i think it's it's a shame really that it, you know people have dabbled with health literacy for a long period of time and i remember it you know there, there was huge attempts and you know rightly so to be more under you know cognizant and aware of what consumer understanding levels were and how to address them what I've been struck by in the work that I've seen with health literacy is actually it's not just writing things more simply, you know, although that's part of it. It's not just saying, you know, remove jargon, although that's part of it. What's really important is the science, the psychology behind it, about the way people consume information, the way that they can, you know, take in data even, you know, and how diagrams simplifying you know, various bits and pieces visualised information is so much more powerful. Um, and my background in the last sort of 
years has been on the creative side. That's, you know, creative and planning is kind of where I come from. It's the reason why I do a lot of this stuff. Um, and initially I feared that that would be health literacy was, was the death knell of creativity because everyone wants to write a witty pun and a, a nice little idiom and a, and a catchphrase that really kind of sticks in people's memories. Um, and you don't have to lose that. But I do think, you know, from a consumer health, from a healthcare point of view, you know, health literacy is a, a really, really potent tool. And, and I guess it's also from a consumer health point of view, and I wouldn't say this from a from a um, ethical pharma point of view, it's inappropriate. From a consumer health point of view, an informed consumer is a better customer of yours. You know, they are better able to consume your product in an appropriate way. Um, and not, I think... Um, but not only that, I mean... You know, consumer health companies. You know, which are the you know these are readers and listeners primarily. Yeah. This is the this is where they have all all the power, isn't it? I mean, they've got the, the especially the bigger companies. They've got the budgets. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. got departments, or they you know they use all these agencies like the Difference mm-hmm. Collective. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where they could really have an impact in it if they think outside the box. Yeah. Maybe try. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I, you know I. I'm conscious that kind of I think this is probably a, you know a time that's come health literacy. I think the science is now so compelling. Um, I still think that I could see that there will be challenges from regulatory side for for consumer health um, because they've not caught up with it yet. Um, we'll come on to the regulator in a minute, um, but. Um, I think I can remember in the dim and distant, I, my own personal background did include working with, and, and you know, as you say, speaking to your audience, Whitehall Laboratories, which we are talking about when God was a girl. That's how long ago that was. Um, I think it's been swallowed up by others twice now. Um, and you know, they were fighting so hard to get, you know, real simple explanations of headache pain on pack. And they just could not get it past the MHRA because it was colloquial, you know, that, and they didn't like it. They just wanted it to be headache, you know, a, a neuralgia, you know, the stuff that they were used to seeing on pack. And the product managers and, and whatever were tearing their hair out because it was kind of people don't talk that way. Yeah, they don't talk about it. They they say I've got aches and pains. They say I've got a terror, a splitting headache. They say I've got. A, and if you get that information in that way then people know this product is for them um and i think yeah the time has come the science is there really to say actually look you know provide this information in a format that creates an informed consumer of healthcare and you will have better success as a as a society because people will be healthier and happier but of course from a, a consumer healthcare point of view that that can only be a positive um good thing people consuming the right medicines at the right time um has to be a benefit so yeah i I think health literacy definitely is is something um and to work with specialists and as you say a lot of agencies are investing in this a lot of companies are investing in this um but it is more than just this sort of dumbing down it is about putting the information in the right formats using uh, real individuals to actually get this information right you know for too long we kind of just think oh well this sort of one patient we've spoken to is the answer when mm, that that isn't necessarily going to be what an ordinary general member of the public understands about 
things. I mean, as a journalist, I'm sure, you know, for years you've been taught about what the average reading age is and, you know, where to pitch copy and whatever, because you can't assume that people know even the most basic concepts of healthcare. Um, better things to do, frankly. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Just a reminder, you can find all the Farmer Intelligence podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Please follow our podcasts, share with your friends and colleagues and comment on episodes you like. All of this helps us to be discovered by others and link with more interesting people to talk to. So what other trends have you got on your list? Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned, I, I guess I've, I've, I've already said I will trample on the regulator and I'm not going to trample on the regulator. I, I think, you know, if we just briefly go back to COVID, the, the MHRA, the regulator, has had a pretty good pandemic. You know, I, I wrote, oh, what a lovely pandemic. They, they, they showed they were nimble and they showed they were agile and they showed they could work with the industry um, to get the job done. Uh, and I think that's to their wonderful credit. I guess the question is, if you're a consumer health person looking at that, you might well say, well, I don't see any of that on a day to day basis. You know, if I'm looking for switch, if I'm looking for kind of adding, you know, increasing choice and whatever, I don't see that speed. You know, I've not seen it yet. You know, it can take years and years and years. And actually, I think one of our clients shared a, um, a sort of graph of kind of where the switches have been over recent you know, period. And it looks painfully slow. So hopefully, I guess the next trend is if if the pan if the pandemic has taught the regulator anything, it's that actually, you know, working, co-creating with the industry in an appropriate way can get you the nimbleness you need. And I think the consumer health people could well say, look, well, hang on a minute, it was it was okay to work quickly there. You know, that's a case study, no? You know, let's yeah. let, let's work together. So I think kind of from a trend point of view, I think the, the time is right to look at the regulator and, and, and sort of make sure that what they've learned is cascaded across all aspects of their work. Um, you know, not just stuck into vaccine development because those those gains will be lost. So I think that's we should probably we should probably recognise them. Um, I mean, there have been quite a few switches, but, uh, you know, not all of them groundbreaking, but, you know, yeah. a, a Maxwell Ear client, um, sorry, a difference collective client Maxwell Ear, you know, big, big switch there. So uh, mm. despite despite the, you know, pressure they must have been under, they have managed to uh, to still carry on with switching. But, yeah, I think it'd be good. I think that's probably right. Um, I can imagine consumer healthcare companies or division consumer healthcare divisions of pharmaceutical companies thinking, I wish we could get that kind of uh, expedited um, approval. Well, exactly. And of course, every, every, as you say, you know, some switches are easy switches, some switches are hard switches. Um, you know, some regulatory decisions are easy and, and some are hard. But I, I think if there is one trend to come out or one sort of thing to come out of the pandemic with regulators, as you say, is to work together. You know, and, I, and I say that in full knowledge that I've just finished um, reading um, the magisterial book, The Empire of Pain, about what happens when there is regulatory capture. And I should be very strong that I really do not believe that that's what I'm trying to say. But, you know, good things can happen with sensible and appropriate behaviour on behalf of regulators and pharmaceutical companies. And 
they have shown that it is proof of concept. You know, with a vaccine which is desperately needed, the time to market was expedited. And I have no doubt that some of the learnings from that around working together, around sharing risk, sharing data at the earliest time can help switching happen at a much faster rate as well, if the will is there. And as you say, I'm sure from a consumer health point of view, from those companies, agencies that support them on those switches, they will definitely be saying, look at that as a case study. You know, and, of course, and of course, Brexit, I mean, one of the promises of Brexit is to make that more flexible. So there are promises of Brexit, I have heard. <laughs> um, this write this podcast on the side of a bus. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, you're quite right. I mean, that is another one of the, the, the areas, isn't it? You know, um, the MHRA unchained. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's that's one. Um, the other, you know, just to cover off the last couple are related to sort of COVID behaviours. And again, as I say, I think some of these are people will just drift back into where they were before. But what seemed to me interesting was and, and does seem to have been picked up by shall we say, the broadest areas of consumer health uh, is this idea of um, pro-social and pro-society health behaviour. Um, so we saw, obviously, that you know, young people queuing up to get vaccine, the vast majority of whom are never going to see any significant negative outcomes from COVID. Yes, some poor unfortunates were unlucky to have long COVID, and that will continue with many other viruses. But, you know, unless they were concerned about giving it to elderly, more vulnerable relatives, which I'm sure was the case for a lot of those young people, it was a personal decision to open up their own life. You know, I do this because it means I can have my holiday, my festival adventure, my, you know, life better, not just my health better. And I think that is interesting and i think also that idea of doing something um, altruistic so I, I keep my society healthy by my own health behaviors has been picked up I, I can't remember which one of the probiotic drinks are doing it but their current ad campaign is very very predicated on i do this for and it is never for the individual mm. it is for their community for their friends for their family and of course, it is a virtuous circle. You know, if 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 you're you're healthy and your family are healthy, then you will have a good life for your friends. You will enjoy good times, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I do think that that is another interesting area for consumer health to start to mine. You know, it isn't just about my health; it's others' health, and it isn't just about health; it's what health enables. And what we've seen very clearly, although we, we, we never got to mandates and, and various bits and pieces in England, at least, um, was that, you know, people could be convinced to go with some health preventative behaviour if it meant the difference between having a more narrow social life, personal life, than if they made a, a, a positive decision around their health behaviour. So I do wonder if that isn't obviously a, another trend for consumer health to be looking into. Uh, another way to kind of argue for the value of probably more preventative healthcare, VMS, that kind of thing, but nonetheless, an interesting that's option. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's um, so. So in a sense, uh, there's a bit of a move away from uh, individualism, um, at least in a kind of more extreme form, among young people, perhaps. 
Well, yeah, I, I guess, and I, I, I suspect the the situation is exacerbated in preventative medicine. You know, I, yeah. of course, if you're in pain, you will seek to stop the pain. Um, but if it comes to more preventative behaviour, healthy behaviour, shall we say, then yeah, I, I think it probably is. I mean, it was always, I guess, somewhat clouded. You know, even if it was to do with smoking cessation, for example, the argument would always be in the background. Well, if you're not doing it for you, do it for your children your you know parents your friends whatever um I suppose this is in that in that respect the similarity is that you can catch it in some sense you know if you're smoking then secondhand smoke or you can pass right. on same with drinking during pregnancy yeah. or things you pass on to your children yeah there is a course preventative yeah absolutely but um i suppose the the other example is is around the fact that it's and again m- moving seamlessly on to um <laughs> The, you know, another one was around um, immune system. I think everyone, as we said right up front, everyone's become an immunologist in a day. I mean, if only it was that easy, wouldn't it? You know, um, but I think that understanding of the immune system has is driving. Certainly my colleagues are telling me is driving natural health as well. This idea of regulating the immune system, underperforming, boosting you know, calming and overactive immune system seems to be somewhere where the the natural health side of consumer health is going. Um, I wrote down, we can't get away from it, I wrote down it's the Brexit of consumer health, taking back control. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think that does, you know, align with what we're just saying. You know, if people are seeking to prevent, then you you get into what behaviour can keep my immune system strong and that has knock on effect, because if I'm not getting sick, I'm not passing on an illness to friends, family or it's taking me out of the game to use a terrible cliche. That means I miss out on the things that I want to enjoy. Um, and, you know, God knows we've all missed out on things that we enjoy over the past few years. Uh, so I think, you know, it, natural health has started to twig on mm. to this idea. And this seems to be a bit of a push uh, for them. So. You know whether you. I suppose one of the maybe one of the difficulties there, isn't it, that with um, a lot of preventative health products, and I'm thinking, you know, food supplements, dietary mm-hmm. supplements, you can't say a lot about them. Um, you know, you can't no. make health claims and stuff. So it's very difficult to navigate that. You know, this will help yeah. you do X it's, uh, it's, without also falling foul of regulation. Yes, of course. Yes, it is. It is always kind of, you know, it's easier to say, do this for someone else because it won't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that does. And it's like you've read these notes for me. Um, <laughs> it does move on to another bit, which is, uh, again, as I mentioned, one of our colleagues um, is actually pursuing um, a postgraduate um, qualification in nutrition with a view to becoming uh, a nutritionist. Um, and one thing that she said that really struck with me was, oh, well, we talked about it and I paraphrased it to nutrition and wellness leaves the hippies behind, you know, and you'll now see a lot of nutrition is chasing the science. It wants that scientific backing. Um, and maybe that's something to do with COVID. You know, maybe people have heard so much about the importance of science that now, you know, even the wilder fringes of nutrition wants to use that. Some, I'm sure, will abuse it, um, as they always do. But 
you know, that idea of the mainstream of, of, of food science and food understanding is now increasingly backed by science, I think does somewhat speak to just what you're saying and, and maybe challenge it a little. Of course, unregulated products will always struggle to make claims. But I think maybe increasingly those um, companies or those kind of product areas will probably seek maybe a little more, either not regulation, but at least the credibility that everybody now sees is the preserve um, of science. Um, yeah, but yeah, of course, there's always the nudge, nudge, wink, wink um, of marketing, um, which, I mean, that's, you know, again, not to not to labour that. You know, not to sound like I'm, you know, advocating for Brexit. You know, obviously in my professional role, I'm not advocating either way. But the, you know, there's a there's an opportunity, and there's been a, a bit of, uh, you know, suggestion in some some papers around Parliament that the UK could be a bit more open in this area. You know, where in the EU you've got this total deadlock around being able to make claims for a whole host of like botanical type ingredients, whereas in the UK they seem to want to welcome something around you know all these things like you know nutraceuticals or you know these borderline products mm. so yeah i mean it, yeah. Could be, it could be that the uk could lead the well, way there as well where yeah and where where does where does that line blur between nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals when nutraceuticals may be investing more in science these days than pharmaceuticals perhaps need to you know if they've got very established brand market brands in, in market um, you know, the, the drivers of the science might well be in other areas of, of consumer health. So, yeah, and, you know, the, we, we should wait and see where that comes from. But I, but I do think kind of all this stuff around science, you know, you, you, you can't move now for somebody pushing a science message. I mean, you can't get away from um, wellness, um, you know, and even wellness wants science um you know the psychology of being near green space green things um you know away from process towards natural and actually one of our uh, big pieces of trend analytics work last year was to work with one of the big cancer charities um to help them understand well-being and wellness trends um you know the the likes of ikigai and purpose and um forest bathing uh, and all those things which you know sound to hackneyed ears like mine that have done a lot of work in uh, pharmaceutical industry and whatever a little bit kind of um nonsensey but they are where the broader world sees consumer value it is what the consumer wants you know when a cancer charity is understanding how they could use it to fundraise it kind of shows you how mainstream mm. That is, you know, it, it isn't a fringe pursuit anymore. Um, and I think consumer health companies need to know that whether they can embrace it, as you say, for all the reasons why they may struggle um, is a challenge. But um, it's yeah, certainly something that the market's demanding. I think, yeah, there's definitely an awareness, I think, that, you know, I mean, this is something we've written about self-care, you know, yeah. being an umbrella term um, for a long time, actually has acquired a little bit more of a of a substance and I think you know it also represents uh, a little bit of an expansion of what might be possible for consumer health companies you know how far they can go I don't know but 
Um, yeah, and, and and on the other side, you know, there is there is evidence for this stuff. You know, that working in your garden actually does make you healthy. It helps your mental health in yeah. particular. You yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, how do you package that and sell it? Because the NHS is doing social prescribing. You know, the idea that getting out and getting your hands in the dirt or you know spending some time in nature all of those things have significant benefits um is is fantastic i guess yeah the challenge is kind of how does a company come along and you, you know make a way of packaging that up um you know, i don't think it will go in a pill um no matter how small you make the trees and i do like bonsais but i don't think they go in a pill um so yeah i, I think and, and just to finally put an end to both talk about covid and and talk about kind of holistic health and the uh, the broader thing you know i'm told by colleagues with better access to uh, the market data that the growth in vms has been you know pretty dramatic yeah. um you know and again what's the trend driving that and and actually although i've just spent however many far too long um blowing sunshine about the the wonders of science and various bits and pieces i think what covid also showed at least in the first year or so is the limitations of science to prevent and to to protect us you know yes it, it when it got its when the move, wheels moved and they moved as fast as they could move what we've been left with is some really potent um preventative vaccination but you know you could still see that it wasn't there it couldn't be there immediately and so this idea of preventative medicine of keeping our immune system strong and regulating it and taking vitamins um you know being wellness conscious i think perhaps it is also that nagging sense of kind of again to that self-care agenda to the agenda we talked about of kind of people feeling that they were on their own in the heart of the pandemic to self-medicate uh, for good and for bad there is that nagging sense of you know i am the one who is going to have to keep my body as, as as fit as it can to to gosh i was going to say survive and i really don't think survive is necessary but you know to be as well and as healthy as it can be so i think you know that is certainly something that is, is a is a good agenda setting point i would argue for for consumer health is to make people i don't know is it responsibility or is it just that dawning understanding that kind of science will get there but in the meantime yeah there's more there's, there's things more you can do yeah yeah well i mean it goes back to what you're saying about um you know altruism and thinking about other people in general i mean i think you know that is a kind of massive trend isn't it to worry about yeah. the world and the planet well, Earth and you know I, everything yeah i've heard things are going brilliantly um again it's that it's that meme of the dog sitting in a room on fire saying this is all fine uh let's talk about trends in consumer health it's all fine um i, so I, I guess as the other stuff and again while we're talking about all the things that are brilliant and positive in the world is cost of living mm. you know and i know i'm sure the far more smart economists than i sitting in all the uh, consumer health companies will understand this better than I do. But we've just gone through a pandemic where people prioritised experience, quality. You know, they were saving money anyway because they weren't going out. And this is going to vault face. It's going to go completely 180. And, you know, are you going to start seeing people making decisions to pull their belt, tying their belts? 
you know, and where will that land with healthcare? You know, is what part of healthcare becomes discretionary purchasing? You know, are will people, you know, downsize from brands to generics? Probably, maybe. Um, but if their household budgets get limited, I think it's going to be really ever and ever more important to make the case. Mm. Um, one of um, my colleagues, as you see, is telling me that, you know, how in a more competitive market, as all of this becomes more FMCG-ized, will you compete with beauty and skincare and, you know, functional food and all that kind of stuff in saying to people, this is worth your tight money, you know, a, a, a limited amount of money. And at the moment, in store, certainly, it doesn't make a great case. Mm. You know, if you look at beauty, you know, you're worth it. I've heard, um, you know, all of these various um, really motivating, powerful uh, messages in store. You see wonderful kind of stuff. Yes, it premiumizes the product, but it makes it seem value and quality where you can often find yourself in the depressing end of um, certain multiple um, uh, pharmacy retailers where the, the merchandising of, of healthcare just is dispiriting. Mm. And, you know, how is that? How are you? How is your brand going to shout in a world where people could just grab the cheapest because they've spent their money elsewhere? Seems to be, you know, a big issue that we're hearing and a big potential trend. Um, I mean, that's this is going back to the wellness stuff. You know, is it do you think it's the case that all of that other stuff that people were kind of doing buying and you know a lot of this stuff it's not just you know you what like white label in a sense vitamins mm -hmm. you know like some expensive stuff i'm thinking about cbd for example yeah, yeah. Massive trend uh really expensive i mean it's come down in price but you know this is a properly expensive thing to buy uh, mm -hmm. and whether that you know that is really going to impact these kinds of uh, markets that have boomed it's quite right but I, I guess I suppose it's what people feel and, and again to, to sort of jump across to another point if you are fighting a war for discretionary spend and I appreciate some elements of consumer health are not discretionary you know if people need pain relief and, and those kind of things but there will be a lot of as you say things which will be discretionary if you're fighting for a customer pound that could be invested in another form of discretionary spending, whether it's to do with wellness or to do with beauty or skincare or various bits and pieces there, then things like social purpose, brand purpose, brand value becomes a war again, a battleground, you know, and people define themselves by the brands and the wellness choices that they make. As you say, you only have to sort of go to the local pub or you know speak to friends and there'll be a cbd what's the word um aficionado i was going to say i'm not certain you could be an aficionado but you know <laughs> it's, it's a little bit cult it can be a little cultish can't it yeah. you know there are devotees i think is the word i'm looking for um yeah. yeah and people will tell you all about its benefits and how much they get out of it and whatever and you know you've got to fight for the headspace for your your devotees for your brand advocates mm. um 
and some brands are doing that. You know, we know that the likes of Caniston for a long time, and you know, obviously, forgive me for uh, the plug with kind of the Maxwellia side. You know, they're pushing this message around empowering women. Mm. They're pushing this message around educating women to help themselves to what they need. You know, to not feel like the the system is rigged against them, and and you know, it's pushing that gender equality question, which is so important now. Yeah. Um, so what more can you know, brands, consumer brands, consumer healthcare brands, which don't really have the sophistication, you know, they have the differentiation, you know, clearly they can do some in super intelligent work around, you know, saliency and getting in front of um, people when they're feeling pain or they're making decisions around the healthcare, brilliant. But, you know, in a war for those diminishing pounds, I think kind of showing that you have an affinity with those you seek to help, mm will be a you know should be somewhere that's a, a new battleground and a new level of sophistication for um consumer healthcare brands and companies uh so i think you know that that aligns to that point aligns to that idea of you know the, the in-store experience the cost of living um you know you've got to shout and you may be that i guess shouting and saying things which historically have been the preserve more of our friends in consumer land selling beans and perfumes and well maybe not beans i don't think anyone buys beans according to brand value but you know although they'd got, like you to, I, I think they'd think like you to try i think you've got some uh, very loyal heinz uh, followers <laughs> there is nothing better than heinz beans it's true i have heard it um and the last one that i've got you know and i'm really grateful for the time you've taken to listen to me on this um you know the last one i have really and it's a really interesting one to be last it could be first it could be you know anywhere at all is sustainability mm. and i know everyone will go oh my god he's going to talk about sustainability but the one thing that's really really interesting and we had a really big debate about this within the difference both you know healthcare specialists non-health specialists consumer health specialists and whatever is everybody is saying it has to be true sustainability you know these you know companies cannot hide anymore greenwashing does not wash as if it ever did um you know th there is just no place to hide anymore and that's true and it's completely understandable the difficulty is it isn't that easy for consumer health you know regulatory hems them in they must use virgin plastics they must use blister packets you know, where is the opportunity to be sustainable in a world where you cannot take the simplest steps? You know, if you're uh, selling Heinz beans, you know, they've used tins for years, recycled tins. They can use recycled bottles and whatever. The likes of the, the consumer health companies just do not have that lateral ability, at least now. And I think it comes down to a, a communications dilemma as much as anything else. You know, they need to lay it out. You know where they can be part of the solution right now they should be and where they need to invest in r d going right the way back to that partnership with the regulator what is the regulator saying and what is the conversation about how we can get to more sustainable packaging sustainable production methods um of the medicines that we buy billions of pounds of every year whilst acknowledging that it isn't just an overnight fix it isn't just a dream scenario where we wake up and say my goodness why did we not just use recycled paper or <laughs> glass bottles you know yes you can but you don't immediately just get to that so 
you know, I feel for the consumer health, you know, hearing and, you know, all, all pharma, to be fair, but certainly obviously consumer health is the biggest volume producer. You know, you feel for them being pushed and pushed on one side by consumers, by um, I'm sure activist investors and whatever to say, where are your sustainability credentials? What are you doing? Go faster. But on the same token of being being very, very clear instruction that you need to continue in the way that you package, in the way that you produce for safety mm. sake. Um, so I think, you know, sustainability is a massive issue, but I think the way in which you navigate the desire to move forward and the need to maintain quality and safety um, is going to be a, a flashpoint. Yeah, brilliant. Well, uh, you know, I think that's just been an absolutely fantastic um, overview. I think uh, it covers a lot of things that, that we've seen as well. But I think, yeah, some really interesting uh, new things to think about as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I really appreciate the work that's gone into this, you know, going and talking to people. This is new information, you know. No, it's great. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, we, we thoroughly enjoy it. I think from the point of view of the difference, as I say, that the, the beauty of it, the benefit of it is being able to bring together so many senior people. Mm. Um, and of course, you can niche it, you can slice it. You know, we have designers, we've got consumer health people and you can ask them and mm. you'll get a different perspective and you'll get a different a different options. Thanks for listening to HPW's Over the Counter podcast. Please follow this and other farmer intelligence podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and tune in. And don't forget to check out the HBW Insight website, hbw.farmerintelligence.informa.com, where you can find the podcast as well as insight and intelligence on the global cosmetics, OTC medicines and dietary supplements markets. See you next time.